All right, Paradise Lost, Book 2. All of the fallen angels have gathered together in pandemonium, and Satan addresses them at line 11. Powers and dominions, deities of heaven, for since no deep within her gulf can hold immortal vigor, though oppressed and fallen, I give not heaven for lost. From this descent, celestial virtue rising, will appear more glorious and more dread than from no fall. So what Satan is saying here is that heaven is not lost and this fall has put us back, but that just means that our later victory will be even more glorious. Now, one interesting thing about this is that doctrine from this descent, celestial virtue rising, will appear more glorious and more dread than from no fall, is an expression of the idea, theological idea of what's called the fortunate fall, the idea that man's fall was fortunate, even though it was, it was wrong, it was sinful, but it was fortunate because it allowed for a greater closeness between God and man. It allowed man to be saved by Christ, which wouldn't have happened otherwise. And it's very interesting that Milton gives that idea uh, to Satan here. He keeps giving Satan things to say that don't quite fit with the picture of Satan that we want to have. And that friction uh, is part of what makes Satan such a fascinating character. Um, so he opens up the, the the debate, and we have a series of speakers. The first one is Moloch. And notice it tells us something about Moloch and his attitude before his speech begins. Uh, around line 45, uh, the fiercest spirit that fought in heaven, now fiercer by despair. His trust was with the eternal to be deemed equal in strength, and rather than be less, cared not to be at all. So it's saying he's, he was, this was one of the fierce fighters in the war in heaven, and he wanted to be equal to God, and since he couldn't be, and that had been proven he wasn't, he would rather just not be at all. So there's a kind of a suicidal impulse in Moloch that we hear about before we even hear his speech. And he starts out, he has a very simple agenda here. He tells us right off, uh, line uh, 51. My sentence is for open war. Of wiles more unexpert I boast not. He says, I don't know about all these wiles and secret plans and doing, you know, covert actions. I'm just for going to war again. And says, uh, line 60, let us rather choose armed with hell flames and fury all at once or heaven's high towers to force resistless way, turning our tortures into horrid arms against the torturer. So he's saying, well, we, we, this, this hellfire is awful, but we can use that as a weapon against God. Though again, they never call him God. Here he's called the torturer. Um, so he wants to, you know, try it again. And he says, line 75, that in our proper motion we ascend, up to our native seat. Descent and fall to us is adverse. You know, we, we were made to rise to heaven, so we, that's what we'll do. You know, line 85, he, he says, What can be worse than to dwell here, driven out from bliss, condemned in this horrid deep to utter woe? He's saying, look, you know, what do we have to lose? We're in hell. How much worse can things get for us? Um, he says, uh, like, more destroyed than thus, 
we should be quite abolished and expire. What fear we then? He says, well, you know, the only thing worse he could do is to completely annihilate us. And, well, that would still be better than being in hell. So he says that, and he, he realizes that, you know, maybe we can't be completely destroyed. Uh, but in that case, we can just always keep coming back uh, and fighting again. And as he says, line 105, if not victory is yet revenge. Even if we can't have an ultimate victory, we can kind of eternally pester God by keeping you know, the assault coming back every time. So that's his case. He wants an open war uh, and, and thinks that, that's again, this is a kind of revenge, even if they couldn't have an ultimate victory. And then in comes Belial. He speaks next. And again, the narrator kind of prepares us for his statement first uh, before we hear him speak. He says that his tongue dropped manna and could make the worse appear the better reason. That's on line 113. Now, that's a, a phrase that's used a lot in, in Plato, talking about the, the sophists. They were the uh, philosophers he opposed. Who They didn't care about truth. They just found, wanted to know the best argument, and they could make the worse arguments appear better because of rhetorical tricks, not because they were actually true. So again, the narrator is kind of telling us something about Belial before he gets started. And he directly addresses some of uh, Moloch's points. He says, uh, line 129, he says, First, what revenge? The towers of heaven are filled with armored watch that render all access impregnable. He says, what, what do you mean, revenge? I mean, we, we, we just got our butts kicked here. We're not, and heaven is guarded, uh, and God hasn't gotten any weaker. Um, and he says, and this idea that, you know, if we go up against him, maybe he'll completely destroy us. He says, well, that's really, that's a good idea? Line 145, he says, that must be our cure, to be no more. Sad cure. For who would lose, though full of pain, this intellectual being, these thoughts that wander through eternity to perish, rather, swallowed up and lost in the wide womb of uncreated night, devoid of sense and motion? So he's saying, you know, however painful our existence is, it's still existence. Why would we give that up? That would be terrible. That would that would be that would be worse than what we are now. Um. And he says, line 170, he's saying, if we do go back and God decides to punish us even more, he says, what if the breath that kindled those grim fires awakened should blow them into sevenfold rage and plunge us in the flames? What if God made this seven times worse? Or from above, should intermittent vengeance arm again his red right hand to plague us? What if all her stores were opened and this firmament of hell should spout her cataracts of fire in pendant horrors, threatening hideous fall one day upon our heads while we, perhaps, designing or exhorting glorious war, caught in a fiery tempest, shall be hurled each on his rock transfixed, the sport and prey of racking whirlwinds, or forever sunk under yon boiling ocean, wrapped in chains, there to converse with everlasting groans, unres unrespited, unpitied, unreprieved, ages of hopeless end. This would be worse. 
So he's saying, you, you can't imagine something worse? Okay, I can imagine something a lot worse than how we're being punished. Uh, what if God did that to us? So first of all, he kind of refutes Moloch's arguments, and then he says, my, we war therefore, open or concealed alike, my voice dissuades. He says, I don't think we should have any kind of war, not an overt war, not a covert war. I think we should just stay here and be quiet. He says, he from heaven's high, all these our motions vain, sees and derides. He realizes God can see us here. It's not like we were hidden to him. Uh, but we can we can stay here. And as he says around line 212, he, God will not mind us not offending. Again, if we just kind of stay in, in, in hell and be quiet, he won't hurt us. And, says, and maybe it'll get better. Line 220 says, this horror will grow mild this darkness light, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get get used to it. Um, it, it it's like this is when, like in The Simpsons, when uh, Bart hears about hell in Sunday school, he asks the teacher, well, wouldn't you get used to it after a while, like a hot tub? That, that's kind of what Belial is saying here. And the narrator condemns what he says. He says, thus Belial, with words clothed in reason's garb, counseled ignoble ease and peaceful sloth, not peace. Okay, so the narrator is telling us that uh, that's not a good idea. But um, wouldn't it have been a better idea than what they did? I mean, wouldn't you rather that the, 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 the fallen angels had taken Belial's advice and not come and ruined uh, uh, things for us? Uh, again, Milton keeps uh, twisting our playing head games with us here in Paradise Lost. So the next speaker is Mammon. And Mammon is not opposing... Belial, he is amplifying his points. He says, you know, even if we could repent, that wouldn't be a good answer. This is line 236. He says, suppose he should relent and publish grace to all on promise made of new subjection. With what eyes could we stand in his presence, humble, and received strict laws imposed to celebrate his throne with warbled hymns and to his godhead sing forced hallelujahs. And a few lines down, how wearisome eternity so spent in worship paid to whom we hate. Let us then, let us not then pursue by force impossible, by leave obtained unacceptable, though in heaven our state of splendid vassalage, but rather seek our own good from ourselves and from our own live to ourselves, though in this vast recess, free and none accountable, preferring hard liberty before the easy yoke of servile pomp. So he's saying, even if we God let us back into heaven, we'd have to worship him with the forced hallelujahs. He can't imagine genuinely repenting and loving God again. I mean, that's how far his, his sin has taken him. So he can't imagine, you know, really getting back into heaven. For him, that would be awful. So we can just live to ourselves. You know, we'll, we'll be free here. Um, and like, as, as Belial said, he suggests, line 275, our torments may in length of time become our elements. These piercing fires, as soft as now severe, our temper changed into their temper, which must needs remove the sensible of pain. All things invite to peaceful counsels. So he's saying, yeah, you know, we may kind of get used to this, and after a while, uh, then we don't have to be in war with God. We can, uh, we can make our own world here. 
Now, then the next guy who comes up is Beelzebub. And remember, Beelzebub is the guy who woke up right next to Satan. Uh, he is Satan's, you know, right-hand man. And he kind of puts straight this whole idea that Belial and uh, Mammon are putting together of uh, we can just don't have to go to war. We can just have peace. He says, line uh, 316, The king of heaven hath doomed this place our dungeon, not our safe retreat beyond his potent arm to live exempt from heaven's high jurisdiction. He's saying, look, this is not a piece, this is not a new wonderful world that we can conquer. This is hell. This is a prison. We're not safe from God here. We can't make a, a wonderful little uh, life for ourselves here. Um, and it says, line 330, what sit we then projecting peace and war? War hath determined us. He says, what, what do you mean? We can't be, we'll be at peace with God. We're at war with God, whether you like it or not. Uh, you can't just wish that away. And he acknowledges, uh, you know, Beelzebub acknowledges that a full frontal attack might not work. Uh, that's what Moloch wanted. But he says, line 345, what if we find some easier enterprise? There is a place, if ancient, pro- ancient and prophetic fame in heaven err not, another world the happy seed of some new race called man, about this time to be created like to us, though less in power and in excellence, but favored more of him who rules above. This is, you know, you know, there's going to be this new world God's going to make, and some a, a race called man will live there, and we could, we could attack that rather than attacking heaven. This is line 359. Though heaven be shut and heaven's high arbiter sit secure in his own strength, this place may lie exposed. So we can go there, and as he says, line 367, drive as we were driven the puny habitants, or if not drive, seduce them to our party, that their God may prove their foe, and with repenting hand abolish his own works. This would surpass common revenge." So he's saying, look, we can we, either we can overpower them and just take their world for ours, or we can trick them into joining us, and that will really get God mad. That will that's beyond common revenge. So he comes up with this plan. Now, the fix was in it, when, when Satan was talking to Beelzebub. This was his plan from the beginning. So this whole council has really been kind of a, a, a theater. Uh, it's you know you have the. Uh, is was like the old uh, show elections in in uh, the Soviet Union. Everybody voted, but there was no doubt who was going to be elected. Um, though I'm not sure that the the fallen angels all realized that. But uh, Satan and Beelzebub have uh, decided before this council got started what they wanted to do. And it even says the line uh, 380 that this devilish council was first devised by Satan. He told Beelzebub all this. But, of course, if they're going to go there, they've got to send somebody out to find this new world and this this new race. And so we ask, line 403, But first, whom shall we send in search of this new world? Whom shall we find sufficient? And then look around line uh, 417. This said, he sat, and expectation held his looks suspense, awaiting who appeared to second or oppose or undertake the perilous attempt. 
but all sat mute. So he's asking, okay, who, who wants to go to this world? Everybody gets really quiet. They're not, nobody's going to step up and volunteer for that. It says, none among the choice and prime of those heaven-warring champions could be found so hardy as to proffer or accept alone the dreadful voyage. And then Satan stands up. Now notice, again, Milton is making this a kind of a very heroic moment. Satan is the, the lone warrior. He's the one who will stand up and do what is necessary, even though no one else will. Uh, he keeps casting Satan in heroic terms, which is very unsettling. Or, or look at you know this, uh, this line of Satan's, uh, line 433. Long is the way and hard that out of hell leads up to light. Now, if you heard that out of context, you would never guess that Satan was the one who said it. But there it is. He's, he said, I'm going to take this hard way and, and go and make this great journey and find man. Um, this is line 450. Wherefore, I do assume these royalties and not refuse to reign, refusing to accept a, a as great a share of hazard as of honor, do alike to him who reigns. So he said, you know, if I'm going to be your leader, I have to take the, you know, do the hard things, make the the hard decisions, and uh, put myself on the front lines. Uh, And look at line 466. He says, thus saying, rose the monarch and prevented all reply. Prudent, lest from his resolution raised others among the chief might offer now, certain to be refused, what erst they feared, and so refused might in opinion stand his rivals, winning cheap the high repute which he, through hazard, huge, must earn. So he quickly, once he accepts this, he gets out. He doesn't want anybody to have a chance to say, well, I would, I would have gone too. Right, he's he's playing. Pol- the, this tells you how the the fallen angels think. You know, the one of them might have tried to grab some of the the credit, but Satan has outthought them here. Now, after Satan leaves, there's a little section here that talks about what the fallen angels do as they're awaiting his return. Now, look around line uh, five twenty four. Each his several way pursues as inclination or sad choice leads him, perplexed where he may likeliest find truce to his restless thoughts and entertain the irksome hours till his great chief return. So what are they going to do to you know, amuse themselves? And look at the things that they do. Line 530, they participate in Olympian games. So they have these athletic competitions. Um, line 540. Others, with vast Typhonian rage, more fell, rend up both rocks and hills, and ride the air in whirlwind. So some of them are tearing things up and riding the winds. Uh, Line uh, 546. Others, more mild, retreated in the silent valley, sing with notes angelical to many a harp, their own heroic deeds and hapless fall by doom of battle. So we've got them uh, doing Olympic Games. We have them singing beautiful songs. Uh, line 557. Others, apart, sat on a hill, retired in thoughts more elevate, and reasoned high of providence, foreknowledge, will, and fate, fixed fate, free will, foreknowledge, absolute, and found no end in wandering mazes lost. 
um, line five seven five seventy. Another part in squadron gross and ban- and gross bands on bold adventure to discover wide that dismal world, if any climb perhaps might yield them easier habitation. So we've got explorers going off. Now think about these things. Are these the things you would have thought that the devils would be doing in hell? They're having great Olympic competitions. They're singing beautiful songs. They're reasoning in philosophy, and they're uh, great explorers. Uh, again, this doesn't fit maybe our preconceptions. Um, and maybe, well, think about why is why would Milton do that? Why doesn't he have them doing, you know, torturing puppies or something, you know, evil? Uh, they're not doing evil things. Uh, but does that mean they're not evil? And look particularly at the, the the ones who are doing philosophy. They're thinking about fate and free will and can't figure it out in wandering mazes lost. I think in a way that is Milton commenting on his own poem. Those issues are going to come up here and we'll have to see whether he finds a way out of the maze or not. And if he does, how? But even that, making the the fallen angels engage in something that is so close to the philosophical and theological project of Paradise Lost itself is disturbing. These these fallen angels seem to be doing the things that we most aspire to, uh, and yet we know that they're evil, right? Milton keeps us unbalanced in that way. Well, uh, the story shifts back, uh, line 629. Meanwhile, the adversary of God and man, Satan, with thoughts inflamed of highest design, puts on swift wing and towards the gates of hell explores his solitary flight. So Satan is, is flying to the gates of hell, and he f- discovers two figures at the gates of hell. This is line uh, 648. Before the gates... There sat on either side a formidable shape. The one seemed woman to the waist and fair, but ended foul in many a scaly fold, voluminous and vast. Okay, so the first one is has the woman's torso and the lower body of a snake. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because that's exactly what error looked like in the book one of the Fairy Queen. Uh, remember when the Red Cross Knight faces error? That's what she looks like. Uh, of course, sin is error. It's an error. It's a mistake. It's going off the path. It's a perversion. Uh, all of those things. So it's appropriate that she looks that way. Um, and it's a little nod to Spencer. Uh, Milton really liked Spencer. Um, Look at the further description of her, a serpent armed with mortal sting. About her middle, round, a cry of hellhounds never ceasing, barked with wide Cerberian mouths full loud, and rung a hideous peal. Yet when they list, would creep, if aught disturbed their noise, into her womb, and kennel there, yet still yet there still barked and howled within unseen. So think about this, that she's got this these hellhounds barking all around her, and sometimes they make their way back into her bowels, into her womb, into her belly, uh, and you can still hear them howling and barking in there. 
So that's, you know, this is a really hellish, horrible image. Now, the other shape, this is line 666, appropriately enough, the other shape, if shape it might be called, that shape had none, distinguishable in member, joint, or limb, of substance might be called the that shadow seemed, for each seemed either. Black it stood as night, fierce as tin furies, terrible as hell, and shook a dreadful dart. What seemed his head the likeness of a kingly crown had on. So the other one is this vague, dark shape that kind of has a crown on it. It has a, a, a dart or a spear, uh, but it's not a, a clear shape. Now, unfortunately, the, the footnote, if you read the footnote, they tell you who these things are before the poem does. The poem just shows these things, and we have to find out that they are sin and death. And notice Satan, uh, he has contempt for them, you know, line uh, 681, Whence, and what art thou, execrable shape, that darest, though grim and terrible, advance thy miscreant front athwart my way to yonder gates? Through them I mean to pass, that, be assured, without leave asked of thee, retire, or taste thy folly, and learn by proof hell-born, not to contend with spirits of heaven. So this is very arrogant. Look, I'm going through those gates. You get out of my way, you you execrable shape, hell-born. I, I'm from heaven. Um, which is really ironic. And death calls him on it. He says, Art thou that traitor angel? Art thou he who first broke peace in heaven and faith till then unbroken? He says, um, uh, line uh, 696, And reckonest thou thyself with spirits of heaven, hell-doomed? If I'm hell-born, you're hell-doomed. And breathed defiance here and scorn, where I reign king? And to enrage thee more, the, thy king and lord, back to thy punishment. Uh, so there, there's a lot of trash talk going on here, right? Um, Satan and death or, or, or you know, kind of uh, getting very macho here. Um, and they're about to fight each other. You know, each at the head leveled his deadly aim. Uh, and it's not clear what would have happened. Um, but what stops them is that sin cries out at line 727. Oh, Father, what intends thy hand, she cried, against thy only son? What fury, O son, possesses thee to bend that mortal dart against thy father's head? So, oh, my God. So, wait. This is, so Satan is her father, and death is the son. And Satan does not remember her. He says, I know thee not. And she says, hast thou forgotten me? Well, line uh, 747. And do I seem now in thine eyes so foul? So she tells this story that she was born from Satan. She is Satan's daughter. And look at the way that she appeared on line 752. This is when Satan was still in heaven. All on a sudden miserable pain surprised thee. Dim thine eyes and dizzy swum in darkness while thy head flames thick and fast threw forth till on the left side opening wide likes to thee in shape and countenance bright then shining heavenly fair 
a goddess armed, out of the head I sprung. So she literally springs out of the head of Satan. Uh, this is a kind of a wonderful uh, kind of symbolic or allegorical moment that sin first was thought of by Satan. She comes from his head. And it also alludes to the classical myth, the Athena, the goddess of wisdom, sprung fully formed out of her father, Zeus. Uh, so it's like it's a relationship like that. This amazement seized all the host of heaven. Back they recoiled afraid at first and called me sin. Uh, but Satan it does not recoil. Says thyself in me, thy perfect image viewing, becamest enamored. And such joy thou tookst with me in secret that my womb conceived a growing burden. So Satan is having sex with his daughter. And notice the reason he's attracted to her. In me, thy uh, in me, thy perfect image viewing, became enamored. Uh, there's a kind of a narcissism in this. He loves her because she's like him, um, and the he gets her pregnant, and he's uh, she is cast into hell with him. And look around 775, this powerful key into my hand was given with charge to keep these gates forever shut, which none can pass without my opening. So God gave her the key to the gates of hell, and then she gives birth to death. Uh, said, I fled and cried out death, line 787. Hell trembled at the hideous name and sighed from all her caves and back resounded death. I fled, but he pursued, though more it seems inflamed with lust than rage, and swifter far me overtook his mother, all dismayed, and in embraces forcible and foul, engendering with me of that rape, begot these yelling monsters that with ceaseless cry surround me, as thou sawest, hourly conceived and hourly born, with sorrow infinite to me. For when they list into the womb that bred them, they return and howl and gnaw my bowels their repast. Then bursting forth afresh with conscious terrors, vex me round. So, God, this is getting really Jerry Springer here. So, sin is the daughter of Satan, and Satan gets her pregnant. So, death is both his son and grandson, this is a, a wonderful kind of perversion of the idea of the of the holy trinity. This is an unholy trinity. They're in this kind of these uh, gross incestuous relationships, and it gets even worse when the son rapes the mother, uh, and that's where those uh, hellhounds come from. Um, and now, knowing all this, look at how Satan changes his tune. Round line eight seventeen. Dear daughter, since thou claimst me for thy sire, and my fair son here showst me, the dear pledge of dalliance had with thee in heaven, and joys then sweet, now sad to mention, though dire change befallen us unforeseen, unthought of, no, I come no enemy, but to set free from out this dark and dismal house of pain both him and thee. So, before, Satan was willing to fight his way out. Now he's going to charm his way out. Oh, dear daughter, I'm not your enemy. I'm here to help you. I'm going to get you out of, of hell. Well, of course, he can't get 
her out of hell without her opening the hell gate. So he, again, he's he's a liar, but he's a very smooth one. Um, but notice that he promises them around line uh, uh, 844, uh, there ye shall be fed and filled immeasurably. All things shall be your prey. So he's going to find this new world. And he says, I'll give it all to you. Sin and death, you can have a field day there. It'll be your realm. And sin replies, line 850, The key of this infernal pit, by due and by command of heaven's all-powerful king, I keep. And it says a little farther down, But what owe I to his commands above who hates me? Whom should I obey but thee? Whom follow? So she says, well, yeah, God told me not to do this, but God hates me, and you're my, uh, you're both my father and lover, um, so I'm going to open the gates of hell for you. Now this begs the question, why did God give sin the keys to the gate of hell? Now, allegorically, it makes sense that the the way you get into hell is by sin, so sin would be the the one who kept the keys. But in terms of the story Milton is telling, isn't it rather odd that he would entrust that to sin? Uh, the, The deck seems to be loaded very largely in Satan's favor in this quest he's going on. And she does open up the gates. Um, it says line eight, uh, 884, She opened, but to shut excelled her power. So she can open the gates, but she can't close them again. And they open up onto line 891, a dark, illimitable ocean without bound, without dimension. So this is chaos. This is the realm of chaos. It's dark, uh, swirling, uh, un- you know, chaotic, unformed. And look around line uh, 907. Chaos umpire sits and by decision more embroils the fray by which he reigns. Next him, high arbiter chance governs all. So chaos and chance are all in control here. And look at this next sentence, describing Satan here on the, on the brink of this uh, leaving hell and going into chaos. Into this wild abyss, the womb of nature, and perhaps her grave, of neither sea, nor shore, nor air, nor fire, but all these in their pregnant causes mixed confusedly, and which thus must ever fight, unless the Almighty Maker them ordain his dark materials to create more worlds. Into this wild abyss, the wary fiend stood on the brink of hell and looked a while, pondering his voyage. Now, look at that enjambment. Into this wild abyss, the wary fiend, it's setting us up for a verb of action. Uh, Leapt, flew, fell, something. But into this this vast abyss, the wary fiend stood on the brink of hell. So the, the very form of the, the lines are kind of, he almost goes out, but he's, it's like a little kid who's on the diving board and is not sure he wants to go out there. Uh, but again, uh, Milton uses that enjambment to uh, highlight that little moment. So he, he flies out here and look around line uh, 933. 
Fluttering his pinions vain, plumb down he drops, ten thousand fathom deep. And to this hour down had been falling, had not by ill chance the strong rebuff of some tumultuous cloud, instinct with fire and nitre, hurried him as many miles aloft. So he falls out and he f- hits this kind of air pocket in chaos and just tumbles thou- hundreds of fathoms down, thousands of fathoms down. And he would have just been plunging and falling, except, you know, by bad luck, a blast of wind came and, and put him back on course. Again, things seem to be lining up awfully nicely for Satan. He, his daughter has the key to the gates of hell. He, he falls through chaos, but it, it kind of very conveniently puts him back on course. Um, his quest seems to be going uh, depressingly well. And in this realm of chaos, he finds the, the character chaos, the, the ruler of chaos, and asks him, 9975, I seek what readiest path leads where your gloomy bounds confine with heaven, or if some other place from your dominion won, the ethereal king possesses lately, thither to arrive I travel this profound. Uh, So he's asking, I'm looking, you know, could you, where is heaven? I can start from there. Or is there a new world that's been made that I could find? And line 990, uh, Chaos answers him, I know thee, stranger, who thou art, and uh, says around line 1000, I upon my frontiers here keep residence, if all I can will serve, that little which is left so to defend, encroached on still, through our intestine, intestine broils, weakening the scepter of old night. First, hell, your dungeon, stretching far and wide beneath, now, lately, heaven and earth, another world, hung o'er my realm, linked in a golden chain to that side heaven from whence your legions fell. If that way be your walk, you have not far, so much the nearer danger. Go and speed, havoc and spoil and ruin are my gain. So chaos likes to stir things up. He's glad to have Satan go on to uh, find this new world. Now, uh, to get a picture of what uh, Milton's universe looks like, I have on the the handouts page a, a couple of images of Milton's view of the universe. And the way as it most the universe is mostly just this vast, undifferentiated chaos. Uh, again, there's no it's it's not formed into anything. But there are three kind of places in the universe. So up up above is heaven. That's uh, where the where God and the angels live, and the, the mountain of God is there in the middle of heaven. And then at the gates, from the gates of heaven, or, or before that, then at the bottom of this cosmos is the realm of hell. And as chaos suggests, God formed that out of chaos. The chaos is the material that God uses to form things, as we'll, we'll see later. Uh, so he formed hell, and now he's formed what um, Milton calls the world, and what we would call the universe. And it is linked by a golden chain to the gates of heaven. 
So it descends down, and it's a sphere. We'll see some of this more in book two. But this is the image of the universe that the Renaissance had. There's uh, these crystal spheres and uh, and the, the earth or sun at the center of it. Um, and all of that is inside, and Milton always calls that the world. Um, so that means not just our planet, but everything that we see and the you know all the pla- all the planets and the sun and all of that is the world. Uh, so those those pictures should give you an idea. Now later on, there's going to be a gate that is uh, or a bridge that is built from hell to uh, the world, and uh, Milton mentions this line uh, ten twenty three. But once he passed, soon after, when man fell, strange alteration. Sin and death amain, following his track, such was the will of heaven, paved after him a broad and beaten way over the dark abyss, whose boiling gulf tamely endured a bridge of wondrous length from hell, continued reaching the utmost orb of this frail world. So that's the idea that the later, after man falls, sin and death are going to build a, a bridge uh, that allows easy access between hell and our world. Uh, but that we'll see the details of that coming later. Um, all right, well, let's uh, end our discussion of book two there. Now, for book three, we're going to shift. And book three, first of all, it starts off with another invocation of the muse. Uh, Milton has several of these. He had one at the very beginning in book one, and he has another one here in book three. And think about what he's saying, what kind of poetic inspiration he's looking for, and also see some some autobiographical things that he says about himself, and notice that, and what he is saying and uh, there. And then we are going to meet God and his son. And I want you to think how Milton presents them. Uh, we've already seen that Milton has uh, has presented Satan in a, a an unconventional way. And see how he presents God. How is God different from Satan? Uh, I mean, obviously he is, but how is, how is the character pre- presented? And God and the Son have these dialogues. And I want you to notice if there's any difference in tone between the way God talks and the way the Son talks. What's different about them? They're obviously, you know, they're they're both God, but what do they? How do they put a different spin or a different tone on the things that they're saying? Also, think about how the section in heaven is mirroring or parallel to some of the things we've seen happen in hell in Book Two. Uh, Milton sets up some very specific parallels there, uh, and also the rest of book three, we'll talk about how Milton finds the the world. Uh, we'll see how he gets into the world, how he finds our planet, and look at how he does that. What uh, what strategies does he use? Uh, what, what things are made easy for him, and uh, what things are hard? Uh, and what do we learn about his, his character as he goes, continues this journey to discover our world, our planet? Um, all right, well, that will uh, give you some things to think about for book three. Uh, if you have questions, you can email me at drmarkwomack at gmail.com. Thank you for your attention. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>